Good morning, everybody. Uh, what a great privilege it is to be here on our first in-person service in 2021. It's awesome to see so many faces in the room. And uh, to those of you joining us online, welcome to you as well. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Josh. I'm one of the elders here at God First. I have a beautiful wife, Megan, and we've got three young kids. And uh, it's thrilling to get to take you guys into a brand new series this morning. We're starting a series that's called Integrating Life. And I thought just by way of introduction to unpack exactly what that title means for you, I thought I'd pose a question to you. If the people that you spent most of the time during the week at work or your friends or perhaps even your family were to see you and spend this hour on Sunday morning with you in church, seeing you praise God and worship, would they think you were two completely different people? Would they be like, geez, who's this Josh who's got his hands in the air singing, you know, all creation, praise God with me, you know? Would they be weirded out with who you are? Because the thesis statement of this series, Integrating Life, is that we want our whole life to glorify God. Not just the neat religious parts that maybe happen on Sunday mornings or happen in growth groups, because newsflash, those parts aren't actually any better than the rest of our lives or any holier. We just dress them up all the time to look that way. So we want to spend the next three weeks trying to break down a wall that we sometimes build between the sacred and the secular. And we want to try and see what it would be like to be Christ-like in the everyday stuff of our lives. And we're going to be focusing on three different areas over the next three weeks, and they are home, work, and play. Today we're going to be focusing on integrating life at home, which is, I think, a good place to start given that that's the place we've all been locked up for the last year or so. Um, so we probably want to break down the walls between our faith and actually our living spaces where we are at home. And I've got two main points that I'm really going to be focusing on this morning. The first one is that your family should really be your primary mission field. And the second point is that when your family is your primary mission field and the gospel starts to really brew there, then your home can become one of the most powerful missional spaces for spreading the gospel to other people and seeing other people get discipled. And then we're going to end this morning just with a few practical questions that hopefully you can take home. You know, maybe you can discuss amongst your family about what are things perhaps you could change to see the gospel brewing more in your life and also being shared with other people in your home. So maybe think of this not so much as a message just to be listened to, but more of an adventure for us all to be going on that's hopefully going to be active in terms of how we start to make some changes in our own lives as we seek to integrate our lives. But before we dive in, why don't you let me pray for us quickly. Father God, thank you so much that you're the inventor of family. Um, you love family so much and community so much that you've called us to be part of your family. You have adopted us um, into relationship with you. And as I speak this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be alive and active in people's hearts. I pray that we'd be able to see the blind spots perhaps we've had, where we've had a wall separating our own faith and what you want to do in our lives, sometimes with the very people we live with. Um, please be alive and active as I'm speaking this morning, and I pray that it would be a fruitful time that's glorifying to you, Father God. Amen. So, first off, your family should be your primary mission field. 
And now when I say family, I don't want you to feel if you're single or maybe you're married but you don't have kids or maybe you're divorced and you have kids that you're excluded. Your family is really like your community, the people in your home that you are around. It might be your parents. It might be a flatmate. It might be um, friends that you have who you consider to be your, almost your household, the people you spend your life with. All of us have some form of household and that's where our mission field should start. And we know we have this incredible mission. It's stated explicitly in the Bible in the Great Commission that Jesus gives to his disciples just before he gets ascended to heaven. Let's look at what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 28. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the earth. And then whoosh, Jesus is taken off to heaven, and the disciples have got this incredible mission that they need to go on. And I think sometimes when we read verses like that, I don't know if it's what it's like for you, but for me, I sometimes feel like it seems to imply that this, uh, mission is something that takes place out there, maybe kind of far away in some exotic land, you know, all nations, with people I haven't met yet, um, and that's how I'm going to spread the gospel. And uh, I think that's a trap we fall into because actually that's not how mission is primarily supposed to be spread. Certainly we don't think Mission should be spread with the people who share my life with me all the time right here at home, right? My dad is such a great sort of tragic example of this in his earlier life. He, um, he studied to be a missionary actually at uh, Westminster Theological Seminary in the States. He worked as a mission doctor on a mission hospital in Zululand for many years. Um, and he always had this vision to go somewhere exotic and, and, and far out to spread the gospel to people. But life happens, and um, my mom got sick, she got cancer, and she died. And when my dad eventually remarried, he inherited this um, 13-year-old stepdaughter who in her later teens started to struggle with drug addiction. And the sad thing is that my dad could only ever see her as this like huge stumbling block to what he felt he was called to go and share the gospel in the Sudan, of all places. You know, that's where he felt he had to go. You see, it was so frustrating for him because his idea of serving the gospel was going somewhere physically distant and difficult to be in. It was not loving this broken teenage girl who was in his own home under his own roof, who desperately needed the gospel more than anything. And my dad and I, you know, we've chatted a lot about this over time, and it's amazing to see how God has healed him and changed him. But he's able to admit himself, you know, his desire to go to the Sudan and share the gospel there actually had less to do with loving the Sudanese people and more to do with the idea of wanting to go on a great adventure for God, for God to use him, but to use him in like an epic way, you know, like a special way. And here's the kicker, to use him in a way that other people would be like, wow, look at what God has done in Pete Rouse's life. You know, and um, it's not that glamorous, I guess, to think of loving a teenage daughter in your own home who desperately needs Christ. It's much more glamorous we think of going somewhere far away. And yet, that's what we're called to do. You know, loving that racist family member in your family or, or that selfish sibling or extending the gospel over and over to disobedient children. 
is super personal. It's on our doorsteps right there. And it's difficult because it's also in our face every day. You know, you're constantly reminded of perhaps how you're failing at it or not doing so great. And that's where we are called to actually start to spread the gospel. Rather than the Sudanese, which are actually far away and maybe they sort of exist in this mission fantasy that we have in our minds that could come true if there weren't so many, you know, pesky, sinful family members getting in the way of my holiness. The interesting thing about how the gospel was spread in the early church and pretty much was the model for for church life is that it wasn't predominantly spread through preaching, what I'm doing right now, through one person talking to a whole bunch of people. The way it was predominantly spread was by one individual sharing their personal relationship with Christ with another individual. And usually, in fact, almost exclusively in family units or households. You see, there's this um, primary organizing structure of the church from the very beginning wasn't big Sunday gatherings and preaching. It's this word that the Greeks had called oikos. See, the Greek word oikos refers to, was translated in the New Testament over and over as household. And obviously household in English means my nuclear family, but actually the Greek word for, for oikos includes much more than just my biological nuclear family. It went as far as including family, neighbors, co-workers, friends, basically anybody that I spent a fair amount of my time with on a regular basis. So your oikos, your household, the people you spend your life with at home are the ones most likely to be able also to hear the gospel from you, you know, rather than some stranger you're going to try and speak to. So that's where we should be starting. We might have the most effect within our own oikos, our household. The question becomes, how do we do this effectively? And I'm glad you asked, although maybe I'm actually not so glad you asked, because if I think of our household, Meigs and I, we've got three kids under the age of seven, and it feels like we look at each other often, it feels like a lot of the time, 90% of our parenting goes into just trying to keep the noise level down to a dull roar while force-feeding food into people's faces and trying to get no one to murder anyone else. You know, that's the extent of our parenting a lot of the time. And I constantly was asking myself as I was preparing this speech, like, what would it look like for me to try and be Jesus to my family? You know, like, how do I be Jesus to them? And maybe you've asked that question as well. We hear that statement, go be Jesus to the city or to your community or be Jesus to your family. And the truth is, whenever I try to be Jesus to my family, more times than not, I'll end up losing my temper and freaking out at everybody and losing my patience. And the reason for that is that we're not actually called to be Jesus because there was only one Jesus and I'm not him and neither are you. We are called to be filled with Jesus. You know, I'm sinful. I'm not perfect. Jesus was perfect. And the amazing thing about the gospel is that God doesn't only want to come and deal with our sin and forgive us, but then he actually wants to come and live in us and show himself to other people as they see him. Perfect Jesus living within imperfect Josh. So I want to try and suggest three ways that you could allow your family to see Jesus living in you rather than you trying to be the perfect Jesus yourself to them. Number one is be honest and vulnerable with your family when it comes to your own sin and your own shortcomings and failings. I'll tell you what, the the single most effective gospel sharing I've ever had in my family is when... I'm asking for forgiveness, actually. Often of my wife or of my kids for having lost my temper. We'll go to sleep and we'll have prayer time before 
bed with the kids and often I'm praying, man, Father God, won't you help me? Please forgive me for losing my temper again, you know? Won't you help me to be patient the way you're patient with me? And when my kids see me be vulnerable like that and, and admit and confess that I'm sinful, but I have a perfect Savior who stands in my place, man, that's like rocket fuel for their understanding of the gospel and them starting to actually acknowledge sin in their lives and where they need forgiveness. Be vulnerable with your family. Jesus demonstrated this so amazingly within his oikos, his household of disciples, the people that he had, he did life with. He was constantly being incredibly vulnerable with them. We see it demonstrated so beautifully in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he's going to be betrayed and then crucified. He's praying, and he says this to his family, his, his oikos, in Matthew 26, verse 8. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. When last were you that vulnerable with your family or with your household, you know, the people who supposedly know you the best? When did you let the guard down and let them in to see that you need a savior, just the same way that they do? So secondly... Take them seriously as your primary mission field. Stop thinking that you need to go somewhere else only. And yes, God calls us to other places, but man, take seriously the people that God's put in your life with you. And that means pray for them. Pray for them a lot. Pray for them maybe more than you pray for anything else, you know, for them to come to know Christ. And read the Bible with them often. And Hopefully, not only in a way that's rote, where you're brainwashing them into believing a certain thing. Read the Bible in a way that encourages them to debate and question with you. Because ultimately, what we're going for is getting our kids and our family and our household to hear from God themselves. Not only through me or through you. We want them to have a relationship with God. So take them seriously as your mission field. And third, paint a vision of your family as a team on mission together. I don't know what your family is like. Oftentimes in mine, it can feel like, man, the kids are just constantly at each other's throats. Everyone's screaming. They're always fighting. And there's a tendency, and it's dangerous to feel like, well, that's just kind of how young kids are, families are. Like, we love each other. It's okay. We'll be fine. But I think we can hold ourselves to a higher standard, you know? Um, and there's this picture, actually, that I've realized of late, I can start introducing to our families that we're a team. We're not individuals all pulling in our own direction. Actually, we need to be working together. Like a team that scores a goal, they've got to have each other's backs and work together. And our team, A, needs to have a goal. That goal is to go make disciples of all nations, you know, and we're doing that together with people who come into our homes. But secondly, they need to have kind of a mission statement. And Jesus gives his oikos, his household, this incredible mission statement that defines them as separate, that people will know that these people are followers of Jesus. He says this to them in John 13, 34 to 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are called to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Man, when you can get your family pulling in the same direction, that it's important for them to love each other, not just the fact that, and because they've got a goal that they're heading for, and that other people will see this in them, suddenly you start cooking with gas and the gospel starts to actually work in your own household. Then it brings me to my second point, which is incredible. Once that gospel is working here, your home becomes this incredible missional space for other people who come into contact with it. 
There's a story I heard about um, a guy who was visiting a Christian family. Um, he wasn't saved, and he was in their nice home. He was walking around, and he saw this odd glass display cabinet in their home, and even odder, in the display cabinet, there was this burnt coffee mug, like it had come through a fire, and he asked the host, like, what is this? To which the host explained to him, well, our whole house burnt down a while ago. We lost everything, all our possessions. And when we were going through the ashes and the rubble of the house afterwards, the only thing that survived was this coffee mug. And lo and behold, the verse on this coffee mug that they had found was this famous verse from Joshua 24, which says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And um, there's something so powerful and beautiful about a non-Christian coming into contact with a family who may have lost everything, but because the gospel is alive and at work in their lives, they're still declaring, as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. You know, that stuff is like mission plutonium for anyone who comes into contact with it. Your household, when it's got the gospel at its heart, suddenly becomes this amazing hot coal that as you put other people around it, they catch fire as well. See, discipleship starts at the kitchen table, but it doesn't stop there. It moves out from there. Inevitably, as you share the gospel at your own home with your family, it starts to leak out to other people who come into contact with your family. I know I've been, I've been talking a lot about traditional families. I just wanted to address, like, this is the same for if you're single or if you don't have kids. Um, I remember when I was single, a thing that happened to me, um, there was a young couple, they weren't married um, in my previous church, and they were my growth group leaders, my small group leaders. And I remember there was an evening when I was in the complex where they lived, I'd been visiting someone else, and I thought, hey, I'll just go by their house, say hi, unannounced, as I was wont to do. And um, I stopped by their house, and little did I know, they were entertaining one of their neighbors, a guy who lived downstairs who wasn't saved. And they tried to share the gospel with him a couple times, and it had never really stuck. And here I come, not knowing this, let myself into their house, um, helped myself to something out of their fridge to drink. I may have had some of their leftovers and, uh, and chatted with them a while and then I left, you know, um, none the wiser of what was happening. And this guy who witnessed that was like, who was that person to them? And they were like, oh, no, that's Josh, our friend. He goes to our church. He's in our small group. And he was so flabbergasted by the fact that our connection was through Christ, that we were Christians, and that their little oikos had been so loving and welcoming to me that I felt I could just waltz into their house unannounced, you know, help myself to something from the fridge and leave. Like, him seeing that was more powerful than any of the gospel conversations that they'd ever had with him in terms of what love and taking care of each other and becoming a community who have the gospel together felt like. Because that's what Jesus does with us, right? He allows us just to show up unannounced. We can stroll right in to the Holy of Holies, right into God's presence and speak to Him, not like a servant or an employee, but like a brother or sister of Jesus, you know? We're welcomed in as family to come and just feast on living water from God. You see, you can tell people the good news of the gospel till you're blue in the face, but until they see a version of it here on earth, they never really get it. And our families, our homes are one of the best tools to use to show people some of the good news that we've got going on. So those are my two points. One, your family is your primary mission field. And two, 
when your family has got the gospel at their heart, suddenly your home becomes this incredible missional tool for other people. But I promised you we'd end off with a couple practical questions. Maybe you can take home to your home, your household, your oikos, and just unpack, you know, are some of these things that I'm going to talk about here, they're not explicitly sinful at all, but maybe you're holding too tightly to one or two of these things that you need to let go and trust God with um, to see if He can then either plant His gospel seeds more in the hearts of your family or use your family to spread the gospel to those who come into contact with your family. So, these are five areas that maybe you can look at. Number one, extracurricular activities. I know that sounds strange, but for families, oftentimes, man, we get so committed. There's so many things happening. This kid's going to karate, and that kid's got banned, and this kid's doing that. And there's so much stuff happening in our lives that we don't have time to be together as a family, just, just to have a family dinner night together, you know? Are you making so much room for other stuff that there's no time for you to be together? And perhaps there's no time for you to be together and have other people be part of that oikos, that family. We just come through this really interesting season of, of COVID where a lot of those activities were taken away, you know, and it's interesting to speak to people and see, man, it's actually been tough but wonderful having dinner every night together as a family, you know. As we come out of COVID, maybe you need to reevaluate, like, how many things are we committed to as a family? As a home, as a single person, how many different clubs and hobbies and things am I doing that actually I need to spend a little bit more time quietly at home, either with the rest of my household or with other people I can invite into my household? Secondly, what time do you have dinner? Again, this is largely a family one, you know. My household is like, man, we're eating at half past five. Everybody's getting bathed at six and they better be in bed by seven. And we're quite religious about that, you know. We've got small kids and we've got to do this. And yet, that thing, while it's a good thing, can become an idol, you know, and it can become a stumbling block to us either being involved in some other activity outside where our family that's on a mission team together goes and is involved in, I don't know, a street braai or maybe a prayer night here at the church because actually it's happening at 8.30, so we can't be here. Sorry, you know. Maybe you need to reevaluate how you've laid out your own eating times, you know, your own dinner times so that you can make space to actually be more involved in other activities. We do that. We're flexible all the time around things that suit us, you know, holidays or if there's a cool sports match or like a play on at school or something, we'll do it then. But man, how often are we willing to do that on behalf of spreading the gospel? Thirdly, what house, where we live and what kind of house we live in. This is for everyone, really, you know, if you're single, if you're married, if you're unmarried, if you have kids, if you don't. Do you view your home as a tool for God to use? Or, or is your home more like a castle where you go in and you shut the doors and you're like, oh, I can relax here, you know? A lot of people will say, my home is my refuge. Well, Jesus is your refuge. Your home is really a tool that God has paid for or is busy paying for. And we need to get better at actually seeing that our homes are places of incredible missional ability, you know, getting people into our homes frequently to see the relationship we have with Christ is one of the most powerful ways for them to come to know Christ. Fourthly um, is budget. 
and ignore my other point up there, but budget is one of the ones that um, oftentimes we're like, man, how am I going to pay for this? You know, how am I going to have people in my home and provide food and do stuff? Like, I can't. Well, first of all, it doesn't have to be that expensive. And don't let your pride get in the way of you being like, you know what? It's okay if I ask people to come over that I ask them to share the burden of like, maybe they can bring something. Secondly, you can actually budget Part of your budget can be for blessing people, you know? Start to think about your finances as like, how am I going to put aside somebody to actually bless people through having them in my home? Don't get over yourself in terms of being so selfish that actually I'm like, oh man, I, I don't want to... I don't want to have to ask people to help with this, so I'm actually just not going to have anybody. People much rather feel loved than be involved in what you're doing. And finally, fifth, others' opinions of us and our home. And this is a big one, I think, a lot of the time. You know, what do people think of how neat my home is when they come over, or how clean it is, or how well-behaved or misbehaved my children are going to be when they're there? Are you afraid to have people over because they'll see that you're not perfect? And the irony is actually it's just the opposite. Most people are so relieved to come over and see, man, you're not perfect like I'm not perfect. There are some dirty dishes and the house isn't that tidy and maybe your kids are kind of a little bit throw a tantrum and it's, it's okay. You're a normal person like me. You're sinful like me, but Christ is working in your life. You see, if we're afraid to have people over because they might see that we're not, or they might see that we're real, and we're not perfect, that's a version of fear of man, really. It's a, it's a type of self-love. I love me so much that I couldn't bear to have anybody else's opinion of me be less than perfect. So, you know, with the way I'm going to protect myself from that is just not to have anybody over ever. Man, you're cutting off this wonderful opportunity for the gospel to be spread through your home. And the truth is, people are not so worried about how perfect or imperfect you are. They just want to be invited to a seat at the table, to be loved, the way Christ has loved us and invited us to a seat at the table. So what for you from this list is, is maybe the Holy Spirit just poking you a little bit, things that maybe you can go home and chat with your household, your oikos, around, man, what are the things we maybe need to give back to God here that we've been too tight-fisted with? Because the exciting thing is that your family, your home, can become a little kingdom outpost of Christ's kingdom here on earth. And that's thrilling. A family on mission is really the primary organizing structure of the church. And we're never going to see an explosion of Christianity or an explosion of disciples of Jesus here in Johannesburg if all we rely on is bigger and bigger church meetings where people primarily come here and sit in silence for an hour or so and then go home once a week and try to think of what does discipleship look like. It happens in our homes, in our families, by inviting other people into those homes as well. It happens the way Jesus did it. He's such an incredible example of bringing people around him and making them into his home, sharing his life with them and being vulnerable with them, being a family on mission together. Let me pray for us quickly. Father God, I just want to thank you that you're not, you're not a God of compartmentalization. You, you love us. There's no secular and sacred to how you love us. You have totally stripped away those walls. You are sacred in every aspect of our lives in how you love us. And you're completely committed to us. And you welcome us in to your community in such a beautiful way. Won't you help us as we think about this, as we think about breaking down the walls between the sacred and the secular? Won't you help us to 
water those seeds of the gospel within our own homes so we can see the truth of the gospel start to take root in our homes. And then, man, won't you help us to be front-footed about inviting people into those spaces so they too could come to know you. Amen.